Today, I'm hanging out with Dave Keller of Peddler Brewery. Him, along with his wife Haley and his brother Mike, the head salesman, run a bike-themed brewery, which sounds like an awfully familiar thing to me. We talk a little bit about combining your passions for biking with your passions for beer, and we go on a long, meandering, rambling tale about wholesaling, canning beer, drinking lagers, and stuff like that. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. My name is Dave Keller. I'm the co-owner and brewer at Peddler Brewing Company. What made you start thinking you were going to open a brewery? Well, I was homebrewing for a while since since college. Were you in that North Seattle homebrew club? No. No, I've uh, never been in any homebrew clubs. Always wanted to have my own business and, and you know just, just try doing something. And my wife kind of had the same same itch mm-hmm. um, so it just kind of lined up we we talked about various things and like let's let's do a bike theme brewery just take take our two passions put them together and and go for it there's a couple other bike themed breweries around here uh there's chain line uh-huh. which is over in kirkland or or woodenville area uh there is flying bike and have you been to uh, this one's not quite a bike themed brewery have you been to flying lion down in columbia city i've been there yeah that guy griffin i think is his name he's got a the the bike powered grain mill have you seen that no that is just the coolest thing ever pretty cool um okay so you like cycling and you like brewing so how did what made you think that was a good combo i mean i know why i think it's a good combo (laughs) yeah so i guess rewind six years ago it's kind of like it is now but not quite to the extent that the craft brew scene is at now, but mm-hmm. you, it was definitely ramping up back then. And, and um, it was just a really exciting industry and exciting time to be getting into it. And we just, we knew that the time was right for that kind of business mm-hmm. and that kind of um, venture. So, yeah, we just we just decided to go for it. And we kind of went just kind of dove straight into it pretty quick. Like we knew looking at the timing and, and things like we were like, we need to get our doors open and, and get brewing. You said this was six years ago? Yeah. Okay. So six years ago makes you one of the older breweries in Seattle, actually, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, Cause you would have been, well, among the earlier openers here in Ballard, right? Are you, were you one of the first people here in Ballard other than, you know, obviously Hales and, Maritime uh, Pacific are pretty old. There was uh, Rubens open, um, Hilliards was open, mm. and yeah, then like the then the older ones like the Maritime. Okay, yeah, Hilliards is a uh, is Lagunitas now, the Heineken right. Brewery. What do you think about that? They opened right <laughs> behind you. Back when it was Hilliards, it was a, probably a personal thing. You guys were, I bet you, were friends. You know, brewers right in the same corner of Ballard. Uh, but what's the difference having a Lagunitas there? Well, we call them Heineken um, <laughs> around here, but. Because they are, they're, they're owned by Heineken, third largest brewing conglomerate in the world. So it's a, it's a totally different game. They're no longer a craft brewery, um, in my opinion. I don't know if they are technically or not. But, but yeah, it's, it's totally different. They, they're pretty much just there to promote their brand. They don't yeah. really, they don't brew. I've heard they brew occasionally, but mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, every week we see the, the, the uh, truck show up and they unload oh, kegs. Really? And we're always like, wait, why are the kegs going into the brewery <laughs> oh wait it's not a brewery <laughs> oh no yeah but those reservations aside i mean everyone i've met has been really cool they're you know they're very generous 
um, with their fundraisers that they do. You know, it's it's hard to say you know anything necessarily bad about them. It's just they are what they are. You have to tell like it is, and they, and they are a yeah. a massive marine corporation. Yeah. So they make think, good beer, which I makes think, me sad. Yeah. <laughs> I think as long as you you know them and their their customers understand that, there's I have no problem with them. It's just if they hide the fact and like pretend that they're a local craft brewery when they're not. You know, that's that's like I have a problem of like them trying to find their way into a, a scene that they actually aren't part of and they're actually working to destroy. I mean, the the big, you know, the Budweiser's, the InVibes are actively trying to limit craft beer. That part of it is a little tough. Yeah, that's, Lagunitas is the most brutal story because I read, that it's like, it, it parallels the Elysian downfall for me. Mm. And, uh, I read Tony McGee's book, He, the founder of Lagunitas wrote this book, um, about how he started the brewery and how he's scraping together capital and how he's working 120 hour work, you know, whatever he's working. And, uh, and it was just a really, really compelling book and a really great read. And it was published six months before Heineken bought, uh, I think bought that first 50% share. And now they own all hundred, I think all, as of what, two years ago, they own hundred percent of that brewery. Um, yeah. And it's always been just, it's been brutal to watch. And I hate, I hate seeing them doing so great back there. They're the like the sole beer sponsor for the like for Cascade Bike Club. You know, every time you go ride a, I rode the STP, the Saddle to Portland this summer, and at every stop was freaking Lagunitas there. And I'm like, oh, man, there's there's a bike team brewery a block away from them. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You gotta get some peddler on here, or you know, some chain line, or some flying bike, or anything. And I bet you, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it. I bet you I can get flying bike on that thing. Because <laughs> I'm like, come on, they're at Cascade Bike Club and flying bike. They're going to be yeah. perfectly aligned. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the reason for that is, is um, well, I guess I don't know for sure, but I can tell you my, I'm pretty sure that they make offers that just that can't, they be can't be beat. Yeah. And because they don't even have to make money over there. They, yeah, they're just there to promote a brand and they have, you know, all this money yeah. from the corporation that can just be pumped in whenever they need it. So, yeah, we just can't compete with that. You know, we have to actually make a living yeah. <laughs> and pay our employees. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we couldn't walk up to Cascade or, or whatever event that we'd want to be a part of and say, hey, everything's free, plus all this stuff, plus all that. We're going to staff it. We're going to do this, and yeah. we're going to promote it. And we just, yeah. God, that's what they do. They, they show up with, yeah, all their own staff, maybe all their own staff. They might actually have volunteers who come up, uh, they definitely have just the, all their own tents and their own flags and tap handles and everything, and they deck out a whole corner of the rest stop with this Lagunitas stuff, which is just, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. But when it's the only beer option there, you can <laughs> I got one my $5 beer. Sometimes they sell pints for $4. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, at the halfway point. Um, yeah, so if you're yeah. an event organizer and you, you have that, or it's all you do is say yes and everything happens, and or you work with a place like us and they're like yeah we'll, you know we'll, we'll bring the beer over we don't have a lot of staff we don't have all this stuff so you have to help fill in the pieces and it just yeah yeah it's a it's it's a harder sell Ugh, good grief um so let's see so we we're talking about your you know combining bikes and beer um what was so what we i think we i think i asked this question earlier but like yeah so what was sort of the the thought there so you're deciding on your branding you you're picking peddler over whatever your other options might have been what made you decide you wanted to go with the bike theme and the uh and, and over whatever else well it was just personal passions 
of hours. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then it was also just, it's an obvious connection. I mean, for whatever reason, anytime you're around cyclists, there's usually craft beer involved. And, and uh, I don't know, I think it's just there. You burn a lot of calories biking around and, you know, if you want to pick something to <laughs> to uh, replace those calories, craft beer is, is uh, usually top of the list. <laughs> Y'all have a killer bike rack out front. I always have to call out every brewery that has a good bike rack because a lot of them don't. Yeah. A lot of times you go to these breweries, you ride all the way there, and then and that's that. Thankfully for me, it wasn't much of a ride to get here, so I wasn't, like, itching for a bike rack. <laughs> I live over in Fremont, so it's not too hard. Well, uh, you can also bring your bike inside. We have... That's the true. indoor parking. I'm always skeptical about those hanging bike racks because there's yep. no way to lock to them. Like you got. Oh like, yeah. Like that just is like. I mean, like my eyes are on the bike, but. I, yeah. If, I would never steal a bike, but I don't know about Johnny guy next to me who <laughs> might be just thinking, "Oh, this looks okay." Take, whatever. Yeah, I've never had one stolen, but yeah, if, if it makes you nervous, lock up <laughs> outside. <laughs> if you've never had one stolen, I mean, I guess. Well, there's always. There's always got to be a first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to scare anyone. It's working on that thing. Um, you, you decided you want to open this business. Did you have any experience opening businesses, entrepreneurial wise? What was your What was your day job before this? You said you were a home brewer. That's your brewing experience. Mm -hmm. uh, what other do you have? So I was working at Boeing as an engineer. Uh, my wife was a teacher, a math teacher. Um, no experience whatsoever with opening a business. Um, we were both numbers people so that helped you know be able to put together the the finances and and really figure out how to make it work also the engineering background helped a lot with the the permitting process with the city there's that was quite that was probably the most difficult part of, of opening was was um trying to get all the sign offs because it's it's a pretty daunting task um and we, we were just totally bootstrapping i mean self funded, did every bit of work ourselves, including the permitting. I mean, I was, I was using my old drafting software from, from engineering to, to draw up the plans and march into the city with them. And they're looking at me like, who is this guy? Like, I mean, they told, one guy told me straight up, like, just hire a, you need to hire an architect. Like, <laughs> this isn't how this works. Like, but, um, just soldiered on and eventually, Took a lot of visits, a lot of work, and eventually got everything squared away with them. And what is what are some of the permits you had to get? What does that process kind of look like? The main one is the building permit. Um, so they're looking at basically making sure the place is up to code and safe, and and um, and then tied to that, you've got the health department, um, and then you know the, all the subgroups like the electric, electrical, plumbing. That sort of thing. Um, the hardest part is the fact that it's an old building. You know, mm -hmm. you're trying to start something new in an old building sort of gives the city fits because they're they're always Seattle in particular. I mean, they, they'll update the latest and greatest codes every year, pretty much. Like they're just they're always sort of pushing the envelope there, which is you know is great for for new buildings. But when you're talking about trying to use an old building, it's it's pretty hard to bring it up mm -hmm. to code and make that happen. What were some of the hardships with having an old building in particular? Well, for us, it, we ended up just sort of having to shape, we had to pare down the, the taproom size significantly um, to fit into like a smaller category. 
mm-hmm. which is not as stringent. What does that mean? Well, the if you have more than 49 people mm-hmm. in your building, you need like sprinklers, you need... Oh, the, yeah. You, you get like, there. there's this, and I don't know what it's like now, this was six years ago, but it, if you did enough or had enough people or big enough size, they call it a major renovation, and then you have to bring it up to everything in the building has to be 100% top-of-the-line code. And for a building like this, you would just have to tear it down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible. I mean, mm-hmm. this building's... 100 years old and the codes were written last year <laughs> and yeah. it's just taking those two things and trying to bridge yeah. the gap is is nearly impossible i mean it's it's that or you, it's either your tear down or or hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah into the building exactly and we don't own the building we're renting the building so we're not going to do that <laughs> yeah okay so that's how you guys have a huge patio in the back and then a tiny little tap room, right. a little tasting room up front. Right. So that's the, a clever workaround. The, uh, the beer garden, while it still fits into all the same departments still look at it, it's not a building. So they can't tell you, like, oh, you don't have Put proper insulation <laughs> on your outdoor space because it's an outdoor space. So, it, yeah. Let's talk about the beer a little bit. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you brew here? What are your flagships? What do you... What do you what are you especially proud of? Um, I mean, our most popular, obviously, is an IPA. It always <laughs> uh, is. These days, it's the hazy ones, which are... I mean, I, it, I definitely think it's more than a fad. I mean, the hazy IPAs are, are good. They're, they're sort of... Um, they're not as brutal with, the, with the, um, the bitterness. They can be really smooth and floral, and they bring in even more people into, into IPAs. And, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then you, you try like an old, old school, you know, six years ago IPA and you're like, whoa, that's, that's kind of hard. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot of hops and really bitter. And I, it was funny cause everyone's talking about like, oh, this IPA is so smooth. And everyone was into these like new, like smoother. And we're like, you just don't like hops as much. Like, <laughs> you like IPAs cause you think they're so cool. But yeah. But it turns out you really just should be drinking a, a really hobby right beer. Now. Yeah. But <laughs> So yeah, we have a hazy IPA that's that's really popular and all this talk about IPAs. Uh, I gotta say, can we pause for a sec? I would love to get a beer. Can we? Can we... Okay, yeah. So let's see. Where were we? We're talking about IPAs. I have one in my hand now. Thank goodness. This is your double hazy IPA, which is just okay. So that's funny that you're making a double hazy IPA because in in this in this day and age of trendy beers and crappers doing whatever they want, you can you like. You know, I've since I'm a Cicerone, I sort of know all the. You know, I'm, I'm trained in the styles, as if that's a air quotes the styles, yeah. and I know what they all are, and then no, 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 but all supposed to taste like, and the th- and you can just go ahead. But the thing is, you can make whatever you want, and this is kind of a this is a style bender a combo, wombo combo, double IPA and a hazy IPA, not a thing that technically finger quotes exists so you basically made it up which is pretty cool and that's probably why it's probably one of the reasons you like being owning your own breweries because you have to do this kind of stuff yeah yeah i mean like a lot of pretty much all of the beers start with a flavor or something a characteristic that we want it to have it they never start with let's brew one of this style or right. that style so they all the the style classification or what you want to call it comes at the very end, when we we finally like okay, it most closely fits into this bucket here. And yeah, we just kind of do it that way. Mm-hmm. That seems like the uh, 
the classic way to do it. It's funny when you say it like that's what you meant to do. I love I love like accusing <laughs> brewers that have made a like an absurd style and just kind of like an absurd beer. I just drank an Imperial Pilsner uh, the other day and I was like an Imperial Pilsner. You can just tack Imperial in front of everything, but the thing is you can and you can do whatever <laughs> you want. And um, and it was just so I thought this is this. That's exactly what this beer is. It's an Imperial, Imperial Pilsner. It tastes like a Pilsner. It's 6% alcohol. It's a little higher than it ought to be. Yeah, call it an Imperial Pilsner. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. But I don't know that they set out to brew an Imperial <laughs> Pilsner. They just wound up with one. Um, yeah, I was at a brewery once, and it was a sour blonde. It's like, oh, this is yeah, it's pretty good. And then and then the, the server tells me, oh, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be a sour, but it went, <laughs> it went sour. I'm like, I don't like this beer as much anymore yeah, for some exactly. reason. <laughs> it's not the, yeah. <laughs> accidental sour yeah like just in i was like you were probably not supposed to tell me that <laughs> i'm a so I'm, I'm a home brewer of course and i'm a really bad home brewer so i remember brewing a what i called a banana split stout because it had this like absurd yeast character this banana flavor that came through somehow i had just over dumped the like the roasted barley or like the you know just like the really really dark malt so i wound up with like a really chocolatey kind of flavor and a really banana-y, yeasty profile that just, and it was like cloudy. It was like a gross looking beer. But as soon as I called it a banana split stout, then everyone's like, oh shit, it tastes like banana split. Like yeah. it was so everyone loved it. So I had to make sure that no one knew the secret. Like I, had another, <laughs> I had another one, a cherry. It was cherry stout. There's no cherries in it at all, but it tasted like cherries. And I don't know why still. Horrible homebrewer, like I said. Um, but I just called it yeah, cherry mysterious stout. Mysterious cherry flavor came out of nowhere. out of the kegerator. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. <laughs> Couldn't even tell you what happened there. That was definitely something, something weird. Some some weird water. Some weird yeast. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah. Um, so that happens every now and then. That's yeah, how that goes. Yeah, um, I had one one occasion where that happened. Uh, it was an ESB, and it took on like, I mean, it was probably a little. It went a little sour, mm-hmm. and it was right during the fall time, and it was for whatever reason we just it just we decided to call it a harvest ale because it just somehow fit with that name and we weren't sure why and it was it was a fantastic beer it had like you know it's like a little bit of cidery you know fall spicy kind of characteristic to it and called it a harvest ale and everybody loved it and could never make it again yeah of course <laughs> so you talked already about your ipa is there the tropic thunder is that your most popular ipa is that the one that no it's the haze the haze the haze, the oh, right, right, haze right. is the most popular uh tropic thunder's just been around for the longest that time. That has been around for a while. I yep. remember getting that years ago. Um, I think. <laughs> I don't want to foot and mouth already. Uh, I think I've had it a long time ago. Um, so what other beers do you brew and, and why? I mean, is it, is it distressing to see that IPAs are the ones that sell the most? Like as a brewer, do you wish you had some more freedom? Just like that you wish that your weirder stuff sold better or, or what? Yeah, Let's definitely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think every, every brewer has certain styles they're really into or are really proud of and and they make them and they just sit on the tap list and yeah get ignored <laughs> um but i also like ipa so that helps but but um it's it hasn't been that bad i mean it, people especially around here are pretty into beer and in different styles so like you can brew other stuff and people mm-hmm. will they'll definitely will give it a try it yeah, yeah. Um, what's the longest a beer has sat on the wall um I mean, this this is the time of year when things slow down. Like, yeah. like especially after uh, after New Year's, it's like mm. dead zone oh, <laughs> for a no. couple of weeks. Yeah. So yeah, if you brew a whole bunch of something, like the next month, and then it might sit until spring. 
Well, we have a Belgian that'll probably be around. Like if you brew like a big, strong Belgian mm. in the in the winter, it usually sticks around till spring. Yeah, it's it's really the IPAs that you want to make sure move quick because right because those, those kind of lose their lose their flavor pretty quick. Yeah. So you'd say maybe f- like would you say four months is probably the longest anything's ever stayed on the wall. Or you know, yeah, well, except we have a yeah we have Belgian sour that yeah. that was around for a while, but yeah. it just gets better with yeah. age. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. But yeah, the fortunately, yeah, the IPAs are the ones that are gonna lose their their flavors and particularly their aromas quicker, but they also go the fastest. So it's kind of takes care of itself. Fair you know? enough. Those never yeah. sit around for more than a month. <laughs> I'm trying to brew a, uh, which I oh god, I got to go back tonight and and taste it. I'm brewing a jalapeno ginger cider or a uh, ginger beer jalapeno ginger beer and it's like just not gonna be good you know i kind of tried to boil the jalapenos for just a second but i think Uh i cooked them and now they're taste smells soupy you know Uh, it smells like a delicious broth yeah what you want (laughs) in your ginger beer uh but in terms of experimenting with weird stuff do you what's the weirdest thing you ever brewed here um regardless of whether or not it's sold (laughs) Let's see. Well, we've done some kettle sours uh, with some fruit. I mean, those aren't that weird, but but they're yeah. kind of a something. Things just kind of for some of the first ones, I I just put in unmilled malt and let the whatever's living on that malt mm-hmm. grow in in the kettle. And you just kind of hold it at, at temperature and that kind of stuff's neat because it's kind of a wild, spontaneous mm-hmm. fermentation, and you never really know what you're gonna get. They turned out well. I mean that. They can go bad. Like you can get yeah. flavors that just just are no good. But oh god, yeah, been there. <laughs> <laughs> we um. So I know that brewing a sour beer is a it's a pretty big it's pretty risky, right? If you sort of end up introducing a bug to your brewery, that it it can be hard to get out. Um, a lot of breweries that brew lots of sours, especially the different like the barrel aged sours rather than the kettle sours, have to have all dedicated equipment to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You but when you brew a kettle sour, there's less risk to that, right? Yeah. Yeah, because all the sour naps in the kettle, and then you boil it afterwards. So basically, anything gets that gets killed off, and then and then you can pitch your regular yeast after that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, yeah, it's just normal beer at that point with yeah, with sour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We we do some traditional sours too. Um, our first two tanks, little seven barrel ones, we we have those exclusively for sours now, mm-hmm. and those will. Put in there, and we'll they'll sit for sixty months, six months or a year, and just really develop a lot of flavors. So we haven't had any any real problems with having sours in the brewery and like getting it cross contaminated. You mentioned your two little starter fermenters, your two earliest, your your oldest guys are seven mm-hmm. barrel. Um, how has the brewery grown? So did it start off as a seven barrel or three barrel, or how big is your brewery now? And yeah, it was seven barrel to start. Um, it was like pieced together with, let's see, the Heiliger tank was a was a dairy tank. The the mash tun was like an old mixing tank from a some sort of food production. Um, same thing with the boil kettle. It was it was like a sort of a Mad Max looking setup that <laughs> we got you know used online somewhere and and uh, and yeah that we had I think we started with three seven barrel fermenters. Everything. In the brewery, from the original brewery, has now been has now moved on. Like right. we don't, I don't think I have a single thing except kegs yeah. um, from the original setup because we were we had a really tight budget when we opened. Um, 
These days, you wouldn't be able to go buy dairy tanks for your hot liquor tank. You wouldn't have a Mad Max kind of thing because all the because six years ago, you and your contemporaries bought it all up, and now mm-hmm. it's gone. And now, if you op- want to open a new brewery today, I, I hear you've got to buy all new equipment. There's just no oh. there's just no no used equipment left. Yeah, I think that'll change. I mean, I think that well, it depends what size you're trying to start. If you're trying to start a small one, I think now you're seeing the starter systems trickling down and yeah and being available but yeah but yeah it was there was still stuff but it was even then it was it was hard to find uh, but now there's like a lot more companies making um yeah. smaller brewing stuff so it's that makes it's sense. not that bad now i mean you, there's 10 companies to choose from that'll build you a brew house and back then it was one or two How do you sort of see so we're, that we kind of hinted at the sort of the growth of the industry and how we're trickling? You might be tri- trickling down the starter sets to the, to the new breweries that are opening. Um, but as far as I can tell, we're getting close to that like critical mass point. Uh-huh. You know, um, what, what do you think about that in terms of you know growth of the industry, space for new guys? What are your thoughts? Well, I think. I mean, are you talking? Right here in Ballard, or, or right here in Ballard. I mean, not, like I, I suppose you probably have the most insight into the Seattle scene. Maybe uh-huh. s- certainly the Ballard scene. So yeah, start yeah. with Ballard. Maybe talk about Seattle if you know state yeah. if you know that. And if you have any, if you've been <laughs> reading Brewer Association and know all about the whole country, maybe you know something there. Yeah. So looking at Ballard, um, maybe you know how many breweries are there now? I, I lost count. Are we up to a dozen? Or? I was just you know I was I was trying to count them yesterday with Pete from Populux. I think he said thirteen. Okay. And that was including a couple new guys that might be opening. Yeah. Urban Family might be moving back. Um, oh, that was, I that haven't was, heard that one. That was, <laughs> that's that's a, a rumor. <laughs> and uh, Pete, Pete was careful to say that that was merely a rumor. <laughs> um, and then there's that new one. There's this like barrel-aged only brewery opening up that I have heard of it now a thousand times, but I can't remember what they're called. Um, and uh, they'll be number 12. And now you guys have the... Um, you've got that new tap room that opened up that's like, or that new beer house that I haven't been to yet. Uh, what is that place called? It's over by Lucky Envelope. Oh, I know you're talking about. I can't remember the name. But yeah, yeah, whatever. Some silly place that doesn't brew their own beer. <laughs> um, but they, they're probably cool. But I think that makes it like 11. Okay. Let's call it 11. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think it's, I think Bauer's reaching a saturation point. I mean, the the thing that fuels breweries, especially small ones, is is the tap room. Like you got to have a tap room. You got to be selling the retail pints. I mean, you just you just can't survive doing wholesale at that scale. At, you know, at a small scale. So there's only so many people that go to breweries, and and Ballard's growing. So that's it's certainly helping. Um, a lot of new people are moving here. Younger people that that you know that's what they like to do. You know, go out, hang out at breweries and stuff. So it's I feel like it kind of right at the edge. Um, Maybe, maybe we'll be okay with a few more, just because there's so many more people moving to Ballard. At this point, you can feel sort of a pull between getting beer drinkers there or here. Yeah, yeah. I bet like we already talked about Heineken back there, and I bet you've got to do you probably put up with a lot of that. A lot of those guys going over there because that brew house is like they're they're that brewery is dope. Like mm-hmm. it's got like the, you know they took the Hilliard space and just like really ran with it. And, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm ashamed to say that I've been there, but I, of course I have. Um, but yeah, so that's got to, that is one of the things I'm waiting to hear brewers start to say. Because everyone I talk to, you know, uh, you know, at the beginning of this year, you know, the question I would always ask is like, how's the local community? How do you get along with the brewers around the corner? And everyone always said, 
we're great friends. I, we love them. We brew, like we brew collabs. And if I need a piece of equipment, I run over and I grab it. And I've used, I've used Dave's forklift before, you know, like that kind of thing is like the kind of thing that people say. And I'm waiting for a brewer to say, man, fuck that guy across the street. <laughs> His brewery keeps on pulling my customers away or whatever. Like, and I, that's the thing is I don't know that anyone's ever going to say that because I think we all get the thing about breweries that makes them different from bars. You know, bars would say that, you know, screw the bar across the street. Brewers gain benefits from being surrounded by other breweries uh, up until some threshold. I guess, you know, Ballard's going to be the experiment for where that threshold is because I can't, I don't even know, I don't know of a place with bigger brewery density uh, than than Ballard, right? Yeah. With that many breweries in this little corner, it's just a, yeah, it's just, you, you can't even believe it. You can, you can stumble, you can cartwheel from one to the other five times before you have to walk a quarter mile to get to the next one, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's a... Uh, I'm anxious to see what the next, what's going to happen because I feel like we're boiling here. Like, yeah. And, but the the thing I'm used to saying, the thing I'd like to say is that, you know, we have if you if you go to Belltown, you know, or wherever, uh, there are there's five bars in each block, you know, on a block, and we're not quite at five breweries per block yet. I bet we could fit that. I bet there are a number of people who like drinking in breweries, a number of people who like drinking in bars. And there will always be capacity for more local breweries that want to sell only to the people who are coming to visit Ballard or that are right around the corner from Ballard. And uh, like up in Greenwood, you know, that, that, that neighborhood's got four breweries and it's people coming in from a mile in any, in any direction who are trying to get to where they're going. Anyway, I've been rambling now. Yeah, so I see that you've got these, all these bottles up on your shelf here. That to me means you are getting on shelves in uh, in grocery stores. Are you you guys are in Fred Meyer and all that stuff or what? Uh, not Fred Meyer. We we don't work with a distributor. Okay. So we're we're self distributed. So that makes it hard to break into a, a supermarket. Yeah, the the big ones won't won't really bring us on. Yeah. It's they they yeah like dealing with a single source for a single brand in a in a massive. That's not worth their effort. They just, yeah. It just doesn't really work out. So. Uh, we're in the small to medium size stores. Mm. Um, Whole Foods has been great for us because they they will work with individual self distributing mm-hmm. breweries, which which is fantastic. I mean, it, and I I definitely get it. Like, it takes time to you know put in the order just to one person, and then we mm-hmm. deliver it, and they have to receive it. So mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's I'm really appreciative of of um, you know, retailers that'll that'll go the that extra step to to have truly local craft beer mm-hmm. and you know, in a better variety. Um, do you work with any other retailers other than Whole Foods? PCC yeah, or PCC. Chuck Stop Shop? Yeah, we'll yeah. do that, that type of stuff. And then all the little small grocery stores around mm-hmm. town and bottle shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely keeping us busy. With the, those, the bottles up there on the wall are pretty much all uh, antiques at this point. We're, we're really, really just doing the cans right now that... That's kind of our main focus. Oh, we do. so you've, you've made the move to canning. That must have, that must be a recent development. Yeah, it's been almost a year. Yeah, we, yeah, we're just almost coming up a year from our first canning run, and the cans are are fantastic. I mean, the, we love everything about them from from the ease of they, you know they take up less space. They they um, and we're doing we're putting labels on the cans now. That's that's the the latest thing. Boxes, your labor, your label labels. labels here. Oh, thanks. Wait, so, so so how do you do that? How do you manage your canning? Do you have a mobile canner that comes around? Yeah. You don't, I, don't, I don't see the canning machine out <laughs> no, there. <laughs> no, no, those things are expensive. It, yeah. it has not made sense to buy one. 
I, mean, no, I don't be, think I've talked. I've talked to maybe nice, a couple of breweries. Like I think Sumerian just got one. They're over in Woodenville. They just got their canning machine. Other than that, there's no one. No one has their own. Um, yeah. Unless you're you know a big one that you would expect. Yeah. That has them. So yeah, yeah the, with the with the labeling, putting labels on cans, it's you get, you're really flexible. So they show up with the blank cans, and you know we we order the labels and we do all that sourcing, and so we can figure out the quantities and we can adjust quantities day of even. Um, to fit because we have a really small footprint here we have small amount of storage so we need to keep do a really good job of like just packaging what we need for the next you know few weeks and then and, you know just keep that moving and it was also good because it everything stays really fresh that way but um, the can sales are way faster than bottles I mean the, we were doing six packs of, uh, of the 12 ounce bottles for a couple of years and you know they they move but nothing like hands i mean the, yeah. for the i mean for us too like i i barely ever buy beer in bottles it's just they're heavy and yeah. not very portable and yeah they break it's just can't put them in a bike bag in yeah you spill and then, <laughs> then you're spilling yeah all right there with you that's the canning is a thing that is it's really, really gotten popular just in like two years. Like it, yeah. it's so funny watching the brewery industry like just lose its mind and go through these waves and these huge changes that has happened on like the month-to-month scale. I, mm-hmm. uh, like, I've been, I've been seriously drinking beer for only like seven years, right? Not even uh, that, right? I, <laughs> how old am I? How long I've been drinking? <laughs> yeah, like I've not been. <laughs> I'm not like this lifelong beer fan. I mean, technically, I suppose. I'm, Kind of, I'm kind of young, so <laughs> I. Uh, um, but like, yeah, everything has completely changed ever since I started, and when I started, it was already out of control. So it's, um, it's just a yeah, it's it's crazy to see that kind of stuff sort of happening. So anyway, we're, the question I want to ask is, you're talking about how cans are flying off the shelves compared to bottles. Like, what what's the real difference there? Are we talking two or three times more? Are we talking ten times more? One point five, whatever. <laughs> like. Um, what are the margin differences? Like, let's get some let's get some details on that. Yeah. Just overnight. I mean, the same beer on yeah. the same shelf will sell two or three times quicker in a can. It was just night and day. I mean, we we decided to you know give it a try. We did like a small run of cans, and then they disappeared instantly. And it was just like, okay, no more bottles. We're done with bottles. Yeah. Do you still do the big bombers? Of your yeah, we do the, we do like specialty beers in the bombers, and that that makes sense because because like with that you can. You can do small runs and, mm-hmm. and try some more experimental stuff and and put it in those and and, um, and yeah people people still go for those as well yeah um, I see a couple wax sealed bad boys up there what are that's one of the things I you know I still don't understand as a you know, pretty serious beer drinker I'm not a collector I have wound up with a couple of wax sealed bottles by accident a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally don't go out of my way to seek out anything that's that thinks it's so special it should be wax sealed in a bottle. <laughs> or not, sorry, that's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say is I don't go out of my way to seek out beers that I need to hold on to, you know, uh-huh. long enough for that wax seal to matter. Yeah. Um, what What are you, so when you wax seal a bottle, are you hoping to, like, there's because there's a market of collectors. There are collectors out there who buy, you know, they'll buy a case of that and they'll open one a year for the next 20 years and they'll see what it's like. Um is that your goal, making that, making those beers? For it to, I mean, not to 
say for 20 years but yeah but yeah it's just it's a it's sort of indicator of like this will be good yeah for aging right and you know drink one now drink one in a year that sort of thing um yeah it's it's, it's an aesthetic it's um just makes it stand out as as in a beer for aging mm-hmm. yeah um i have always had a problem with like long aged beers and the, it's it's basically just a math problem because i you know how like you buy the you might do a vertical tasting of the same beer from five years right fremont keeps on making abominable every year and they do this big this big just like uh, a big like bottle party and everything um and a goal is to like taste the different beer year after year mm-hmm. and wine has the same problem like the goal would be like this one's been aged for five years so it should taste different than this one that's been aged for one but like if you know enough about beer you kind of know that if they brewed that same batch just with like if if you could have frozen this one in time and not aged it five years uh, and then tried it side by side with the one from the basically the ingredients from five years ago from the brewery when it was five years older or whatever those beers are going to taste different even if you tried to control every possible other aspect regardless of the aging so yeah. I've never been comfortable drinking an <laughs> aged beer going, oh, yes, this is much better, right? Like, why would the brewery five years ago be any better at brewing that beer than they are today? You know, there's no reason to think yeah. that. You I know, mean, if like, you're talking about a, a non-sour beer, then, then yeah, the, you're, the flavors are slowly changing. But yeah, um, if you're talking about a, a sour beer that still has active right. bacteria and, and yeast in there, then things can definitely change. Yeah. Um, they basically get more sour. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Are those guys sours up there? Yeah. No. Oh yeah, they they are. are oh, sours. I see. Yeah, Brett aged. Oh, so there's there's active stuff bouncing around on those guys right now. Yeah. Okay. They uh, like I know I know Brettanomyces is known for its like three year long fermentations. You know, like the uh-huh. kind of thing that can just take forever. But yeah, like even that, it's not the kind of thing you're really thinking. I don't know. I just. I just would never do it. I just don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. Whatever. Just want to drink it fresh. Uh, I just want to drink beer yeah. fresh. That's the way that I live. Um, but that's okay. So, I guess what I want to know is, what do you know about that craft beer collector's market? Not a lot. I mean, I, I know some people, sell it like wine and, and kind of treat it that way, and, and that's that's great. I mean, the, these are just one-offs. We did. Yeah. We do that like it's like a once a year kind of release. So, mm-hmm. not a big part of what we do. Do you find that bottle releases are a big part of your business? Do you have to do? You, do you think about those bottle releases and think like, let's get on a weekly schedule, make sure we do a bottle release every time because that's every, we sell ten cases every time we do one. Like, are they a big part of your business? No, I mean the things move mostly in the in the stores, and mm-hmm. and it's it's more just keeping up with the the seasonal releases and and basically just keeping the, the shelves stocked. I mean, we mm-hmm. run into just outages yeah. a lot, and you know you can't just turn around and make more in a, in a week. Like it takes, takes a lot of planning. So that's, that's the biggest thing is just, just keeping up and, and, um, not running out. You, so you're saying you got a lot of beers out in stores. Do you consider yourself a production brewery or are you a taproom brewery or I guess both hybrid? <laughs> no, we're not, we're, we're not a production brewery. We're maybe going to get to a thousand barrels this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, all of the production and yeah. the sole brewer. So we're, um, we're tap room first and then, mm-hmm. and then, um, production, you know, wholesale right. is whatever else we can 
we can produce. Is wholesale a critical component of your of your business plan? Is it like a do you sell a lot of wholesale? Ten percent, twenty percent. Half the like, half of our volume roughly goes wholesale, but in terms of in terms of revenue, it's not near, near half because the, the margins yeah. are much much smaller on yeah. on wholesale. I mean, you're competing against the Heinekens of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> out on those shelves, so um, self distributing is is good because we don't have that um, mm-hmm. person taking a big cut of our right. <laughs> of our sales. I mean, I. At our scale, if we were going through a distributor, I, I don't know if we'd make any money on, on wholesale. That is like the classic problem. Nobody, like nobody, can make any money on wholesale. That's that's one of the things I think about when I'm talking. When I'm saying like, there's room for more hyper local breweries. You know, breweries that are smaller than your scale, even uh-huh. the one that you can fit two or three on a block. Um, there's room for those, but there's not a lot more room for people like you who make who are getting on the shelves. Are, do you have a growth plan? Are you trying to trying to you know sell more? Or are you like where you at? We've looked at the numbers. You know, we'll we'll run the numbers and you know, put together a really cool spreadsheet and, and sort of project things and say, okay, like what would be the next step? Like how much would we need to grow? The the biggest thing right now for us is is bringing on another brewer. Mm-hmm. So. Um, during our busy season, I'm working a lot, like, I don't know, 60 hours, 70 hours a week, like just trying to keep up. And I don't keep up. I mean, we run out of beer. Well, it's kind of like I'll build up in the spring and then and then throughout the summer, our beer supply just yeah. dwindles. And by, yeah. by the time August comes around, we're like, the, <laughs> the cold room is like barren and like, we're just all our, you know, our tap lists down to like four beers or something. And then, <laughs> and then this time of year, it's, you know, things slow down and I like can breathe and yeah. take a little time off and build up the supply. Um, so that was the big thing is like, like, okay, I can't keep doing this. I need, I need some help in the brewery, like get another, bring it on the brewer. And then, you know, you look at the numbers and it's like, so we bring on a brewer and we, we make more beer, but all of that beer will go wholesale because, you know, the, the tasting room is sort of max out at this point. So then you look at the small margins of that additional beer going wholesale and we would need, you know, more equipment, more space. And it really just comes down to we would need to grow two or three times bigger yeah. for it to make sense. Right. So like if we we just brought on another person and, you know, got four more fermenters or something, we would just barely break even on that whole expansion and so like we're not doing that yeah um, and then in this building we're pretty much maxed out so we're at this point we're happy with with where we are i mean it, things are going well and we're we're paying ourselves and paying our employees and it's a pretty good size i think with the again it's like the self-distributing thing is another another thing you know we we would need to either get another bring out another self-distributing person or go with a yeah sign on once you once you bring a distributor in then you're, you're so like you said already the margins are getting yeah, smaller so and there's 30 percent off the top i was like you know how do you yeah how do you make that pencil out and it's so yeah if we grow we grew at this point it would just be for the sake of growth it wouldn't really get us anywhere except yeah. i'd be working even longer hours and we'd probably have a loan we right now we have no loans we're just we're just going yeah own everything yeah. here. It's that's a good way to live. Yeah, we kind of yeah. like keeping it that way. Yeah. Um, 
what do you, yeah, so in terms of growth, maybe you're not necessarily planning that next giant step, but what do you do to, you know, max out your tap room week after week? Or what do you do to cut your own hours? You know, what, what, kind, of, what kind of efficiencies can you sort of eke out of the system? What kind of fat have you cut off to try to like, you know, whatever's hemorrhaging you money? Like what kind of, what are some of the things you've done to really make this business more efficient? I guess just having me be the only one brewing. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I can doing it for five years now and get pretty efficient at everything and can get a lot of things done pretty quick if I'm just, just here working yeah. straight with no, no distractions. And, and the, you know, the brew system, I've, it's a new one. It's a, it was supposedly 15, but I'm getting 22, 23 barrels out of it, maxing out the size of the, the brew days. And that's been pretty efficient. Um, what do you do to keep your tap room full? We do a lot of events here, um, especially the beer garden that holds 250 people. I mean, you can do a lot with that. Um, we're doing a movie night tonight. We do a holiday movie series and do stuff like that. We do we like to do a lot of fundraisers. We do a thing called Dogs of Peddler every quarter, where we make our own little dog park out back and we do like costume contests. We did that one for for Halloween, which is hilarious. I mean, there's like 100 dogs in costumes running around the brewery. I mean, it's just uh, they're so fun. You just walk around laughing the entire time. I like that you have a hole in your wall that goes to the restaurant next door. Out yeah. Back. That <laughs> is just too funny. What What's back there right now? Who Back, oh, the yeah. restaurant? Yeah, who's uh, They're hole? called Mean Sandwich. They moved in a couple of years ago. They make some really tasty sandwiches. And yeah, they, yeah, they were stopping in while they were doing their build out and chatting. And we're just like, like, yeah, we don't have a kitchen. We would love for people to easily be able to buy your sandwiches. So like, let's yeah. put a... The sandwich hole in there, and we'll just <laughs> sandwich do it hole. that way. <laughs> <laughs> was there any weird? Um, what's the like, were there any legal problems behind that? Just opening a hole in that wall, like because you don't have a kitchen, so you don't have to worry about permitting and doing all that kind of stuff. Because I know that's hard. Um, so they're just basically running a food truck through your wall, which is kind of funny. Um, and you also get food trucks in the back, which yeah. is something else. So a couple sources of food for a place that doesn't have any kitchen, which is just great. I think. Yeah. yeah, we. The one thing is for sure, we don't want to have anything to do with a kitchen. Yeah. They're, I mean, I've never done it firsthand, but I, it's hard to imagine just all the work that goes with, with making food and the cleanup. And yeah. Like every day you're trying to order like fresh lettuce and blah, blah. It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, it makes my head hurt yeah, just thinking no, about it. No way. So yeah, it's, it's great. Just, I mean, there's absolutely no money exchange. We just want people to have yeah. food options. Yeah. And so we'll work with food truck and our neighbors and just make it as easy as possible. That's what I was wondering. So you don't, they don't pay you a cut of every sandwich no. that sells to that window or anything like that. No, nothing like that. I bet you a buck. They, uh, maybe you can answer this. Do, do they sell the majority of their sandwiches through that window? They do like during, uh, during the peak during hours. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They get, I mean, they're open now, like we're not open now, but they get, they do a nice lunch crowd, but then for their um, evenings, like, yeah, it's, it's our customers that are yeah. buying a lot of those sandwiches. <laughs> Um, that sounds like a very good symbiotic relationship. Yeah. 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 We were, we were really stoked cause that, that place was, you know, open for rent. We were just sitting there like, what would be the best thing that could go in there? And number one on the list was wood fired pizza. Number two was sandwiches. And we we're like, yes, sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Some good wood fired pizza. Yeah. That's the way to live. That's the stuff. So t- still talking food, you got the food trucks back there. That is a story that gets a lot of people riled up. Food trucks are impossible, right? So what are some of the things you had to deal with with them? 
Oh, yeah. You mean impossible to like to to, to deal schedule with. and just yeah. do everything. Everything involved is okay. Well, we have the same food truck now all the time. Oh, they they store it at the end of the block and they drive it down each day one oh. block and park it. So, so yeah, we we went through the the rotating food truck thing for a year or two, and uh, and yeah, it was a constant headache. You, it's it's comical all the all the excuses that come up with those food trucks because they're always in these old trucks and and they're like usually new at making food and yeah. running a business so like the i mean my favorite was one of them broke down as it was pulling like it was right on the sidewalk pulling into our beer garden and it just broke down <laughs> and they're like this is as far as we're getting today <laughs> and they're like it was like sitting at an angle, like, wow, we can't cook like this. So we had a bunch of people, we pushed it out into the street and it sat there for like a week. And yeah, it was, <laughs> but yeah, every day it was like, you don't know if you're going to have food until they're actually cooking it. Yeah. Because then even if they show up, sometimes something goes wrong and like, oh, we didn't get propane. Uh, you know, it's just <laughs> one thing after another. So then there was this, this guy, uh, Keaton, that was doing, he, it started as a, it's called Cycle Dogs and it's a, and mm. it was a. Uh, they're the vegan hot, hot dog, dog place. vegan hot dog and he pulled it on a bike mm-hmm. so that's where the name came from so he showed up on a trailer and he was like the one the one truck uh, trailer at this point that like drew a crowd yeah the vegan people are like crazy they'll just yeah because i mean it's like hard to find vegan food and they'll just rally around it and they're like really supportive community so we're like yeah every time you show up 20 or 30 people come with you and then and then he got a you know, a real truck, and, and we just talked to him, and he was he was trying to get a loan to start the business, and he's like, the loan officer wants to know where I'm going to park it. Can we work something out? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just have you here every day. And so we did that, and and uh, it's been good. Wow, right? I on. think the the combination of of them and the sandwiches next door works really yeah, well. Yeah, that's perfect. We definitely had some people that were like what my only option is vegan food like yeah. what's going on that's my problem too i um i was telling you earlier about the gigantic bicycle fest and they uh cycle dog shows up there as well and that's because the organizers of the event uh are vegan and they really love vegan food mm-hmm. and if you're a meat eater like it's a little annoying when you're yeah. there trying to get meat <laughs> like, especially when you've been cycling like you know you, you ride a century and then you're, you're you're riding back in you're like god i really just want to destroy a stick of pepperoni right now <laughs> and uh and they're just and they're just, just vegan dogs over there <laughs> and uh, i remember i this this really happened this is not a joke i was at the festival and i i forget where i got it i think it was my girlfriend she came in with a stick of pepperoni and we split it and i'm sitting at the thing i'm running the the front gate to the uh to the uh, to the beer garden i'm just checking ids and i'm munching on a stick of pepperoni and i had four people walk up to me and say where'd you get that <laughs> did you get that pepperoni? <laughs> just like, sorry dude this is mine I brought it from home you gotta bring your own meat to these things <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I'll be talking with the organizers, see if I can convince them to have a secret meat option for yeah. the true carnivores. Um, but the thing is, those cycle dogs are not bad. They're good. Those like I field know. roast and everything. Like I, um, you know, they're not. They're not bad. Apparently, they're, they have more protein than a than a real hot dog. <laughs> that's crazy, and I bet your fiber's better too. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, but there's something about a dead animal. Um, 
But that's that's actually a really great story. I like that symbiotic rags to riches kind of like you know. Well, nobody says anything about riches. Yeah, <laughs> or rags. It wasn't really rags, quite rags to uh, rags uh, to fine to making yeah. to not losing money. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's really cool. So so basically, you're their primary customer, or yeah, and they just park up over here and they bring in the following and do all that stuff. So that's really that's like a yeah that's just a great tale. I like that. Mm. And so now you've just left all the other food trucks just sort of like, okay, now, sorry, we're doing these guys every time. Yeah, there, there's one we'll bring in for big events. They're happy to do it. They're always like, you got an event? Call us up. We'll, we'll be there. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking of was an app that would do uh, do all that scheduling for you. Is there any, like, uh, you know, I could write that, maybe. Um, oh, did, scheduling uh, food trucks? Yeah, totally. Is there a tool out there that lets you do all this easily? It's, the scheduling is not the hard part. It's it's the showing up. That'd be the trick. The, I don't know if the app can do that. For Built you. into the app would be the uh, an insurance component. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if you have a food truck that is requiring they make five hundred dollars in sales, you know, because your brewery is they need a certain number of people at the brewery in order to even bother showing up. They might request of you a guarantee that they'll get the money, but you want to like no, you want a guarantee from them. Like you should be the one, the food truck with the following. You should be cycle dogging it and have twenty or thirty people pop up because yeah. you're, you're here. So I want a guarantee from you. So every person who uses the app, be food truck or brewery, pays you know a fifty dollar a month insurance uh, that will that will satisfy the uh, like the the one time the food truck doesn't show up, you get you get paid you know five hundred bucks because they. <laughs> Uh, they ruined everything, right? Yeah. Or if they show up to your thing and it's just a dead day and no one wants beer in the middle of winter, then, then they get 500 bucks and it makes <laughs> their day because everyone's always sort of paying this insurance. And, you know, insurance scams are a great way to make money. That's why yep. health insurance is I so expensive. You got something there. I think we got this. All right, I'll work on it. Um, so let's see. Uh, we've been chatting for a while now. Let, were there any topics that we wanted to hit that we missed? Is there anything you want to talk about? Hmm. I mean, I guess... For me, I'm into now with, we talked about what sells. That's right. Uh, yeah, what, what are you up to now? But what, you know, really gets me excited and, and uh, it's, it's loggers. I've been doing, I didn't Ooh. start doing loggers. That's a, it's been about a year now. It was about this time last year. Things finally slowed down. I caught my breath. I'm like, I need to do some loggers. That's a whole other beer world I haven't even explored yet. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're much more finicky. They take a lot longer. Um, in the middle of the summer, tying up a tank for months is just mm -hmm. hard, hard to do. But um, so yeah, I just took that on, and it's been, and it's been really fun trying that out and and um, sort of perfecting that that part of of brewing. And we uh, we canned a lager this summer called the Summer Mullet. Um, it's a hilarious can design. But yeah, is it up there? Oh, I see. Yeah, it. yeah with a mullet. Yeah, I'll take, um, I'll, it's on the front, of party in the back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that one, that one was was really fun. It and and um, and people were were into it. And I think to me that's uh, that's a the part of craft beer that so you could have the most growth is is um, getting into that that uh, that light yeah beer market of I mean, not necessarily like a really, really light beer brewed yeah. with corn and and weird things like that. But right, none of this adjunct lager. Yeah, yeah. But but just an easy. But like drink my goal in. would be, someone goes into a store and they're gonna buy a a Rainier or Olympia, and they say, "Oh, well, look at this. We get, there's a craft 
Pilsner. I want to try that. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably also, you know, Heineken's biggest fear, you know, companies like that. Of like, and that's probably why they're most threatened by craft beer is like, they, they get into that, yeah. that market, um, you know, watch out. I, um, I guess lager beers, like they, they're either becoming more trendy these days, uh, you know, talking last year and a half, like not a lot of time. They're, they're becoming more trendy these days. Or maybe that's just the phase of drinking that I'm in. I feel like all of a sudden I'm noticing lagers at a lot more breweries. Um, but I'm fond of saying that, like, you know, every craft beer drinker kind of goes through the same cycles. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they start off, they're like, well, I've never had a craft beer before. So uh, I hear ambers are easy to drink. And they have an amber or two from wherever the popular ambers are coming from. And uh, they go, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'll try the IPA. And then you get onto the IPA train. You're like, oh, shit. And then some people... Hit that IPA and go, okay, IPAs are where I'm staying. I don't need to get any more deep. I don't need to get any deeper into this. And then you, but if you go a little further, you get into the, uh, oh, man, I'm really on a dark beer kick. I'm doing stouts and porters and all that crazy stuff, and this is really good. And then eventually you, like, then you start doing all the Belgians and the sours, and everyone, you know, all those sours that looked insane to you earlier, all of a sudden you're into those a little bit. And then a lot of people come right back to IPAs, and they sit there. <laughs> And um, but I think really where like everyone a wants flow to go. chart you need to put together. It needs I'm, to I'm exist. like a poster or something. Yeah, like absolutely. The, the phases beer, of the craft beer, drinker. beer drinking. <laughs> like you start here and like choose your adventure. And the seven stages of right. of craft beer alcoholism. So then eventually it leads to. And then eventually you make your way back to loggers. Yeah. Like that's the thing is you you know everyone everyone lo- the reason there's a reason loggers are popular. You know the reason the ma- the big guys brew them is because they're just good. And you're, I'm always on the hunt for like a really, really good lager. So I want to. I'd, yeah. I'd be really excited to try your uh, your mullet lager, and um, like Lucky Envelope, they make a lager. They they mm-hmm. they make this one. They're Hell's Lager. They have on tap all the time, and it's one of my favorite beers. So um, I yeah, say yeah, pursue the lager game. Yeah, they. I mean the the thing that really really made me want to do it was was um, I guess yeah, it was a year ago, and I was drinking Oktoberfest beers. Mm. It's like man, these are good. I want to drink these more than just in October. Like, and the the thing that impressed me the most is you buy it, you get it, you know, go to German bar and get it in a big one liter Stein, and, it, and you're holding your hand. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's been like an hour, <laughs> and it's warm, yeah, and flat. And my God, it still tastes good. I'm like, <laughs> that is a good beer when you can when it can sit there and get warm and flat, and you're still enjoying it. Yeah. So I'm like, there's something special about these. There's these Germans better. are doing something oh, good. Oh man. That is my favorite thing in the world, uh, drinking anything. Drinking a, a liter of beer is just probably my favorite thing ever. I yeah. went to Oktoberfest in Germany a while back, and that's just the coolest. And you just can't do it here, right? Mm-hmm. In America, you go to get a liter, and you might go to Rheinhaus or Queen Anne Beer Hall or one of those places that sell beer by the liter. Cost 20 bucks, right? I know, There's just it's no like a way. novelty of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, fuck, I will fill. I want to make a liter at my house. <laughs> I can brew five gallons of a lager and then... Well, it's only like that's like what fifteen liters. Like it's not not even that, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so it started out doing like the the more flavorful lagers, and now I'm like, yeah, progressing like lighter and lighter ones. And, and did you uh, ever work on a Schwartz beer? No, I haven't done one of those yet. Those are my faves. Yeah, for sure. Well, I did a. I mean, those. I did a. It wasn't a lager, but it was a it was a dark yeah. light beer. But but yeah, I haven't done a true Schwartz beer yet. Yeah. When you're trying to do loggers, you know, on your setup, do you have to? So I imagine you go out and you find a proper logger yeast. Do you do you do you take any liberties with the loggering process to try to make them 
sort of as easy to produce as the ales you make? Uh, I mean, that was one of the things I kind of went through, and the part of the learning process was was finding out you can't really do that. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I've only, I've only used a handful of lager strains, so I yeast strains, so I don't know. You know, each one's a little different, but there, the one I started out with, I I would um, you know I'd start at cold and I'd let the temperature ramp up, and it, fermentation would would speed up and mm -hmm. finish in a reasonable amount of time, but just develop some other flavors through that, like more vigorous fermentation. So it's like, nope, mm. slow it down, Gotta slow it, it down. down. And yeah, you need you need like a lot more of the yeast and you gotta give it a lot more time and, and keep it cold until the very, very end. Um, so that's something I've learned and, and yeah, you you can you can do them in a fairly reasonable amount of time. It's not it's not months and months, but yeah, but a month you need is at least a, a month, month is a yeah. month. Yeah. <laughs> um but with Oktoberfest season just behind us, I um sort of have, was wondering that because you go to some breweries and every brewery manages to whip out on Oktoberfest for their, you know, for that seasonal menu item that everyone's gonna want. And they and I just know that there's no way everyone's make no one's not everyone's lagering this beer, right? No one's like I don't know that it's if it's hard to maybe say like set this one fermenter to twenty to you know twenty degrees cooler than what it's used to, you know is is it? I'm imagining some people are taking liberties with the definition of uh, like a lager or an Oktoberfest lager uh, in order to make one and put it on the menu. Um, so that's why I asked that question. Yeah, you can um, you can use dry yeast and that helps a lot because it's mm -hmm. it's like really cheap and you just put a whole bunch of it in there and it mm -hmm. and it's yeah, you don't deal with much with the, the problems of of like building up a, a yeast culture that's big yeah. enough to, to really go. But I imagine I would hope everyone's doing loggers if they call it a logger. But, yeah. but um I don't know. I mean I guess you could maybe ferment a ale yeast really cold and yeah. and get a similar thing, but but yeah, I th I think a lot of it's just like to be like, all right, we'll we'll do one, but yeah. You know, making it a regular thing and, and you know, for us putting it in cans like almost going quote unquote production with it is is a whole other step but but um I I've had fun with it so far and I'm gonna keep doing it. Okay. I um I yeah earlier when I used the word production, um the uh you kinda winced. I did use it as like a sort of any brewery you don't any any beer you don't sell in house, you're selling across the street or wherever, that's like Production beer is there? Is there a better definition for that? If I keep on saying that, is that going to confuse people? Or <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, I, you just call it wholesale. I mean, wholesale. Wholesale is yeah, you're selling it outside. If you're a production brewery, that means what does that mean? You have a certain barrel threshold that you've crossed, or maybe yeah, I don't know only, what the or maybe you only would be, only sell wholesale or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like production to me would be big space running yeah. like shift brewer work and yeah. you know like yeah running churning beer out. 24 right. 7 kind of thing okay a production brewery like <laughs> okay yeah forklifts whizzing around yeah <laughs> that okay. sort of thing <laughs> all right all right um okay let's do a lightning round uh i'll ask you three of my three of my favorite questions two of them are easy one of them is a weirdo um the first one is what is your favorite beer you brew here the one the favorite one you've made ever here or maybe the 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 flagship the one you like to brew the most um, it's our flagship, but I like the nitro stout. Yeah, just love a good nitro beer. Why is that? Uh, the, I mean, just pouring it, watching the bubbles do their thing, and it's just like rich and creamy, but also like I like it's like a dry 
it's a dry nitro stout, so it's rich, creamy, but also like really light on the palate at the same time. And um, yeah, love that beer. When you drink, uh, this is an extra bonus bonus question. Uh, when you drink your nitro stout, do you ever compare it to other breweries' nitro stouts? Mm-hmm. Do you ever? What do you think of it? Do you think yours is better than everyone's? Oh, it's the best one out there, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think anytime you're talking nitro stout, you got to compare it to Guinness because, of course, that's the the standard. I think compared to Guinness, it's not hard to have a, like, have more flavor, have a more robust flavor, you know, but it's uh, but it's kind of hard to beat Guinness. And, uh-huh. and that it is its own, it's like the archetypical you know, dry Irish stout. You can't really beat it because it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, okay. Second question, what is your favorite beer of all time? Maybe that's a hard question to answer, but maybe what's the one beer that inspired you to be the drinker you are today? Wow. To be the drinker that I am today. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, when I drank, when I flew into Seattle, I was moving here from Austin, Texas, and I drank an Alaskan Amber on the plane. And that's not my favorite beer, but it's the one that turned me into the drinker. And yeah. Today. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I alluded, it, alluded to it before, but it, it was the, the the warm, flat Oktoberfest in my, in my stein and still enjoying to last drop. I was like, yeah, I need to do that. <laughs> okay. All right. What about... All right, so here's the last question. Name for me your three most inspirational breweries. Maybe your three favorite breweries, the ones that inspired you, or maybe, yeah, just your... What are your top three most important breweries to you? Ooh, okay. Let's think back. So we actually... My wife and I did a did a road trip up and down the West Coast before we opened the brewery. Um trying to remember the ones the ones that we hit but we went to it was the name it was right near the the Tetons it was like in wasn't it I think it was called maybe it's called Teton Brewing um anyway it was Hmm. it was out way out in the middle of nowhere this small small town like just over the mountains from from Jackson Hole and um it was just just a really really cool vibe mm-hmm. and uh there were like like brewers were all hanging out the tanks are right there and you know this is this was like 10 years ago when when that was like a novel thing now it sounds like oh of course there's tanks and brewers and and things but back then it was like wow this is a really neat scene um and we we had a good time there um i know we hit russian river uh, that turned me on to sours they're doing their um their taster flight and like because i wasn't into sours at all i was like there's something wrong with these beers at that point like i don't want these but but being able to march through the different tasters and and you know because they start you out with ones that aren't sour and then they you know kind of ramp it up and like and like by the end of it i was like oh these are you know i'm not into this over the top one but there was somewhere in there where i was actually enjoying the Mm -hmm. funkiness to it yeah um and then I remember there's one called Funkworks in uh, Fort Collins that, um, I don't know if you've been there or heard of it, but... I've, I know of Fort Collins, and I think I've heard of Funkworks. Okay. I've never been there. Yeah, we were there, yeah, yeah, five or six years ago, and, and um, I think they were still pretty small then, and they had a, it was like a, like a sour wheat beer that we just loved, <laughs> bought, bought all their bottles and took it on the, took them home with us, but yeah, those were, 
those are three that really stick out. Okay. I was just in Colorado. I was in a Greeley though. Like just, I think a little south of Fort Collins. It's just like another town that's near, near enough Fort Collins, but I just never had the chance to scoot on up there and yeah. get to Fort Collins, which is sad, but one day Colorado's a great place. Um, okay. So here's the question. You named your three most inspirational breweries. One tentatively named Teton Brewery, <laughs> uh, Russian River, and Funkworks. Funk. Tell me if you played this game before. Mary Bang Kill. I don't know what you're talking about. You have to choose one of those breweries that you would marry, <laughs> one that you would have sex with, and one that you would kill. Oh, man. Well, Russian River is too popular, so kill them off. Okay. Yeah. Too big. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was the other one? I had to. You've got to have sex one. with one, and you've got to uh, marry the other. Yeah, I think you got to have sex with Funkworks. I don't know why, but it was just the best beer. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the best beer. And yeah, you got to then you marry Teton and live in live in the mountains. Live in the mountains. Yeah, <laughs> with your with your first love. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you say? We grab a beer. Let's do it. Right on. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I have to come back to Peddler soon. There's a logger in my future. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, you can go to cyclingcicerone.com for the full blog posts and other episodes. Don't forget to follow the Cycling Cicerone on Facebook and Instagram for more beer-related antics. You can also find more episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to leave a like or comment. 